Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Phil, we're once again immersed in tournament snooker, aren't we? The European Masters underway and the Welsh Open with us straight after that. And frankly, sir, that's the way we like it. It absolutely is, yeah. Hello, everyone. Good to be here as always. Uh, yeah, I started watching uh, the action from Milton Keynes this morning. It was good to hear the Eurosport boys as always. I think it was Alan and Dave this morning. Yeah, it was good stuff. Good start to proceedings and yes it's busy old time now really now until the end of the world championships and even beyond that because then there's the seniors uh, there'll be some action there as well so uh, yeah a lot of snooker to come looking forward to all of it yes our snooker cup very much uh, runneth over right now all the way as you say to Sheffield and all the delights to come there in the spring well we are delighted to say that you'll have another voice to listen to in this new episode we are joined by someone who has become a very familiar part of our snooker watching on television. Today's special guest had already made a big name for herself in racing broadcasting when she began reporting at the biggest snooker events for Eurosport four years ago. And from this season, alongside her reporting, she now presents the channel's superb coverage from the Home Nations tournaments, meaning that she'll be in the hot seat for next week's Welsh Open. We are very happy to say that Rachel Casey is with us on Talking Snooker. Rachel, it's great to see you. How are you? I'm very well. You've gone big there, though. You've gone really big already. <laughs> That's a lovely introduction. But uh, no, it's fun, guys. It's nice to be on your podcast, along with Dave Hendon's years um, I love and I listen to all the time. So it's. Uh, I hope I'm not going to be the most boring guest you've ever had, though. <laughs> No, not at all. That's very kind of you to be listening in. Always welcome. Yeah, um, it's busy time. I guess you, I guess you like it. These back to back to back tournaments as well. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, really good. But it kind of you know it picks up a gear. You say that throughout the season all the time, don't you? But yeah, as you say, we've got the European Masters, the the Welsh Open, and, and everyone's talking about the World Championships already. You know who's going to be winning? Who's your fancy? Who are you tipping? And I'm thinking, goodness, let's get through the next few tournaments first. But it very much is on the horizon, guys, isn't it? it yeah, really is. I think as soon as Masters is played, then it really people start looking at Sheffield as soon as that. But as you say. A lot of snooker to be played before that. Yeah. Phil, who do you think the most boring guest we've had? So, no, I'm joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> I don't need to answer that. 
we've been saying on here in recent weeks, Rachel, and generally throughout the, the history of this pod, all the home nations tournaments are great, but the Welsh Open has a really special feel about it. 30 years old now, has such a great history. So you must be really relishing what's coming up next week. Yeah, it's always lovely to go to Wales. And in particular last year, you know, we were back on the road to Celtic Manor. You know, we were kind of, we're all locked up in, in Milton Keynes for, for so long. So I think even getting back to Wales last year to go to Celtic Manor, it was, it was really special, actually. And, and obviously we had a, a very different winner in, in Jordan Brown, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to in, in, in a little while. But uh, yeah, it, listen, it, it's, it's kind of, OK, going back, you know, you've got the three and the big four. So I guess like there is something very special about the Welsh Open and it is part of the Home Nation series. But I suppose we've kind of had the, the new additions like, you know, I'm not saying that they're the lesser cousins or anything, <laughs> but the Welsh Open is just that little bit more special, I think. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's a pretty special venue as well. I, mean, I, I think that's where we met, actually, Rachel, when it was at the Welsh last year. Um, and having been sort of inside all, all that time or at Milton Keynes, which is fine, does its job, but Celtic Man is pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, we were all raring to go. <laughs> you know, yeah. just, <laughs> we were like wild animals again, just like to be out at a tournament. And, you know, I think since the Masters, for me, really just, you know, I think Ali Pali was such a big success to have the fans back. And I think that's kind of why we were all raving a little bit about, you know, the, the, the very special atmospheres because it's something that we we missed and, you know, we, we were just so done with stony silence and, you know, no fans. But, you know, in Wales, the fans are always great. And I think that we're going to have, hopefully, uh, plenty of them coming next week. Yeah, we really do hope so. And, yeah, smashing tournament. And we'll definitely look ahead more to that in a couple of moments' time. But the European Masters underway it, in, in Milton Keynes, not in Germany as we'd hoped, but listen, at least we're seeing the tournament, as we said before. And Judge Trump already off to a flyer, uh, beating uh, Michael Judge 5-0, breaks of 93 and 129 there from, from Judd. And winners also early on, Mark Selby, Yan Bingtao and Kyron Wilson. Now, you've probably seen this, Phil, but Ronnie O'Sullivan playing Nigel Bond tonight. Now... You may well have seen it, so in which case the answer will be easy. But if not, when do you think the last meeting between those two famous names was? Well, I, I have seen it, so I'll ruin the party. But um, I was shocked to see that it was in 1998, which is mad, really. Because, I mean, obviously, they've both been on tour the whole time. So, uh, bizarre, really. I mean, I don't know how many tournaments have been played in that time, but for them to miss each other for that amount of time is mad. It is mad. 94 British Open. 96 Masters, 96 German Open, 97 Masters, 97 Irish Masters, 98 Scottish Open, and then nothing. I mean, Rachel, <laughs> you've, been around, you've been around sport long enough. It's just so bizarre, isn't it? But, I mean, listen, obviously Ronnie's become a, a very, very top player for longer than Nigel has, but you'd still have expected them to meet in, what, nearly a quarter of a century. It's so bizarre, isn't it? Well, it's always bizarre, I think, when you see players avoiding each other for so long. Because, you know, like, if you look at Kyron Wilson and Joe Trump, they seem to play each other nearly every tournament. But it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's quite unusual, actually, isn't it, when you see two people that have been in the game for so long, that, what was it, 1998, um, since they last met. I would say that with, with Nigel Bond, I mean, he's a, a constant on the tour. Like, I mean, it's, it's quite extraordinary, you know, to, to see him out there playing, you know, qualifying, uh, playing in the European Masters. You know, I mean, it was not too long ago he beat Judd Trump in the, the UK Championship. 
championship. You know, he's he's just a constant, isn't he? And he, he loves the game. Obviously, he's taking a bit of time out to do coaching and stuff. But he's um, yeah, it, he has a real love for it still, which is nice to see. But I I had an early eye on the match. I don't think it panned out too well for him. <laughs> no, I just seen the result. I think five one running. Those two Masters meetings, though, it's easy to forget what, what a top player Nigel was. I had a look and he played in uh, played seven consecutive Masters. It's a great effort. It is. And you're right. And, and most of those were close going back, but, but Nigel's never beaten him, has he? Which is, it, you know, it must have been a factor. You know, when, you know, even tonight, obviously, Ronnie, you know, would be a hot favourite anyway. But you're right, calling a pretty heavy, heavy victory there. But, you know, there are plenty of big names in action. And... We also saw some pretty big names in Welsh Open qualifying, but I think the number one story to emerge from there has to be On Yi, who beat Wu Yiza at 4-2. First win on the main tour for On Yi. She really played well, two breaks in the 80s, uh, so uh, clearly a strong performance. And then nothing against Wu Yiza, of course, who's a young player of such promise. But for the overall health of the game, that results great news, isn't it, Rachel? Oh, massive. And, you know, I think everything she's been through to try and travel over here and, you know, I, I, I love the fact that, you know, the senior guys on on tour, the likes of, of Mark Williams, I know she spent a lot of time practicing with him, with Lee Walker, Jackson Page. I know Ronnie had a, a match with her as well. Mm. Um, you know, and it, it's nice to see them, you know, helping her along. But for her, that's a that's a big match to win because it was early in the season she could have beaten... Craig Stedman, I think it was. She had big matches against Murphy. Um, she played Stuart Bingham in one of the Home Nations events. But for her to, to actually be there on merit, uh, you know, they were held over matches. So the fact that she she's actually won a match to be there to play Ali Carter, who's who's won the Welsh Open before. So that's going to be a big match. And and I I, I don't know, listen, we're, <laughs> it's going to be hard to get on, talking about match tables and who's going to be on telly. And it's, it's always a... It just got a, it's always a, a head record, to be honest. But it'd be nice if, if it if it got good exposure. I, I would really like to see that, actually. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it should hopefully be the start of things because I spoke to her after she lost that match to uh, to Stedman. I think she was 4-2 up and lost 5-4. Lost I think that was it. Mm. And she said just the nerves got to her. She just wasn't used to being in that situation. So now she's got the win out of the way and a good win like that. I mean, I know Wu's only a young kid, but he's very talented. I think he's on course to be Rookie of the Year this year. So, great player. Um, so, yeah, hopefully the confidence will be there now, the, the nerves will be got rid of, and, uh, yeah, plenty more to come from Onye. I suppose yeah. the big thing is whether, uh, listen, it, I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll be tough to be, beat Ali Carter. I mean, it's nice mm. to, to, to win the match, but um, I think Ali Carter could be a bit of a dark horse this this tournament. You know, we, we haven't seen an awful lot of him but um, I, I feel like he could be one that, that could do well in, in Wales actually it was this tournament last year where he beat Higgins and Allen and then he had to withdraw for, for health reasons he was supposed to play Ronnie oh, yeah. so who knows maybe this year he, he might be up for up for the fight again yeah that was such a shame he was playing great stuff then yeah, yeah I forgot that that was a real shame that was a real shame when that happened. Yeah, I mean, we, myself and Phil, we talked up Ali quite a lot, didn't we, at the start of the season? Nothing quite happened for him in this campaign as, as as we would have liked. I'll tell you, another player that hasn't quite happened for, that I kind of expected bigger things, he's still done pretty big things, is David Gilbert. Now, what did Joe Perry and David Gilbert do wrong, Phil, to be drawn against each other? I mean, they must have um, 
walked under a few levers or something. That's an absolute stinker, isn't it? Perry winning 4-2 there. But that's two pretty, pretty, you know, top, decent players to go against each other. Yeah, you can you can be very unlucky in those qualifying draws. And Joe has dropped down the rankings a bit now. He's sort of, I think he's around the 40 mark, where he seemed to have been consistently between 10 and 20 for about 20 years, really. Um, but he has dropped down a bit. But yeah, that's very unfortunate for those two. When, um, you know, I was watching Rianne against Sahil Vahidi. And that's, you know, Rianne is ranked, I don't know where she's ranked, probably around number 100. And Vahidi's not even on tour. So for those two to get drawn against each other and Dave and Joe to play each other, they'll probably count themselves quite unfortunate. But yeah, Joe Perry won't mind. Although, yeah, Gil- Gilbert's form's not been great since such a great start to the season. He looked confident, but uh, he's tailed off a bit. But he's in. He's, he's playing right now, actually, isn't he? He's playing with Liam Highfield. So I'll keep an eye on how he gets on there. Yeah, he's 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 such a great player. Um, but he, he goes through the the mill, doesn't he? A little bit. I know you've interviewed him, Phil, a lot, and and I do um, plenty. But you know, you really want him to do well because he he just lays it all out on the table, exactly how he's feeling every time. You know, you're kind of always playing the match with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think I said before, interviewing sometimes interviewing him sometimes is. You feel like you're almost doing a therapy session sometimes. You really want to just G him up a bit. But, it's, uh, but I think that's why people love him, though. He's got a lot of fans because, uh, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't keep anything hidden. No, exactly. He just kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. And I, I, I like Dave. I, you know, I, I really do. And he's what a fantastic player he is to watch as well. He's lovely. Yeah, yeah so smooth to watch. Yeah, once in every 10 interviews, he'll sort of start talking himself up quite a lot. You think, yeah, this is it. This is what I want to hear more. And the next nine, it's back to the old day. Oh, I haven't got this. I can't do that. You think, what a shame. But that, <laughs> but that, that's the game, isn't it? It's made up of all kinds of different characters. Um, we, yeah, you mentioned the Sahel Vahidi, um, Rianne Evans match, uh, Phil. That was uh, Sahel Vahidi winning 4-1. Uh, some other results here. Michael White beating Zhao Gudong 4-0. But Zhao was top two frames of being late for that match. So Michael White didn't only had to do half the work in that one. And... Uh, Hossein Vafai, the shootout winner, beating Andrew Higginson 4-3. That match decided on the final black. We had Ricky Walden, who's been in such good form, beating Gerard Green uh, 4-1. And uh, so some interesting results there. Uh, Ali Carter beating Leipay Fan uh, 4-2. And of course, uh, interesting match, as we've been saying, for Ali Carter to come now. But all the Welsh players in particular, but all the top players, Rachel, want to get their hands on the Welsh Open, don't they? Because it's got that that history, that real cachet about it. Yeah. Uh, they've not done very well in it, though, have they? <laughs> 23 <laughs> years. 23 years since since Mark Williams uh, won it. Um, I think we've got, I think I counted six Welsh players um, in the draw. You mentioned Michael White there. Um, I don't know. This, they're so proud proud aren't they and you can kind of see like the hunger's there like everyone wants to win their their home tournament you see when we go to Scotland you know John Higgins you know even when things weren't going great for him in, in terms of his snooker he said well I'm only here because it's the Scottish Open I have to play in it you know and, and they want to win it and we saw with, with Mark Allen you know early in the season like he said it was like his the best moment in his career to win the Northern Ireland Open in Belfast in front of that rowdy crazy amazing crowd like it was fantastic so you can see the hunger is there with, with the Welsh players and you know will they be able to do it this year I mean the way Mark Williams is playing you, you could never rule him out I think Matthew Stevens quite interesting um, I heard a <laughs> I heard a conversation about Matthew the fact that 
you know, he's he's in danger of falling off the tour. And this might be another topic for another podcast, not for me, but, you know, would he be one that might be deserving a wild card if he was to fall out? What's the what's the the criteria these days of a wild card? I thought it was an interesting chat. I was sort of a fly on the wall. Yeah, That's interesting. Yeah, they're, they're they're borderline controversial, really, aren't they? Some of the wild cards because yeah. there has to be a cut off somewhere. But That's yeah, I suppose no, Marco Fu's not. Yeah. No, you're right because you sort of think, well, do they need to be a world champion? No, because Jimmy gets one. You know, so yeah, I mean, my instinct would be probably not, but there we are. It's a good, it's a good thing you bring up. That's why we got you on, Rachel. We not, we we knew you'd not only be great today, but you'd give us loads of future ideas as well. <laughs> That's what we wanted. Listen, can I just um, clear this up? It's not my idea. All right, just, <laughs> just, just want to clear it up. I, it was a conversation I overheard, and I just thought it was quite interesting. But listen, it's a topic for another day. Well, you're the conduit. That, and that's that's what we do in journalism. So, um, well, listen, there's loads of matches to look forward to, isn't there? I mean, there really are when we do get to the Welsh Open. We mentioned some of them, didn't we, uh, Phil, when we last spoke? I mean, Neil Robertson, Jimmy White. Well, I mean, what a, what a match that is. I mean, Jimmy will be taking some time off his duties with you, won't he, that, that day or night, Rachel? And, um, uh, and you know, he'll be able to sort of talk openly about it before and after. And that's a, a sort of lovely bonus, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a bonus. Um, it's going to be a tough match, though, isn't it, <laughs> against uh, Neil Robertson. Um, it's 12 years since since Jimmy beat Neil Robertson. The one thing we know with Jimmy is he'll have the belief, guys. He'll, he'll believe he can win the match. And, and listen, who knows? Um, stranger things have happened. But yeah, he'll have... He'll have the day off. We'll, we'll we'll give him that pass. And who knows? He, <laughs> might, he might take the whole day off. He might not want to come back in the evening. But hey ho! Um, it, 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 look, it's going to be a crowd pleaser, isn't it? Um, you know, obviously Neil in the form he's in, and and Jimmy. They are, I mean, they just love him, <laughs> and you can see why. He, he he's just still so good for the game. Yeah, it, it sounded like he was banging the centuries in that um, event they played in Liverpool over the weekend. Oh yes. The venue looked amazing there as well. I'd never been there before. It was getting rave reviews. Well, it's a pretty good exhibit. I think it was Ronnie, Rianne and Jimmy, wasn't it? And Stephen Hendry. And he- oh dear. <laughs> and Stephen Hendry. Wow. So yeah, that was that was worth the ticket entry, I'm sure. But um yeah, no, listen, Jimmy's Jimmy's always playing well. Um, I don't know, we just think he gets a little bit more nervous these days, doesn't he? Yeah, I was going to mention that, actually, because how how does that tally from you sort of hanging around with him and working with him, and he's super cool, must be a very relaxed guy to hang around, but it does seem like the nerves do get to him on the table now, don't they? Yeah, they definitely do. I think his, um, well, he said it himself, you know, it's it's more his, his focus, his concentration is not always there, um, but he's, it's, it's like he's playing in the World Championship final every match he plays, and, you know, mm. he takes it really serious. Um, you know, he, he comes in, he gets his suit on and, you know, you let him, I, I don't even go near him. I say, good luck and mm. hope it goes well. And obviously not try and talk too much about it if he loses or well done if he wins. But like, he's really serious about it. You know, he practices really hard and he's, he's still so dedicated. I know he obviously does a lot of TV work and exhibitions and, and all of that. But it, when it comes to the match, it's like, as I say, he's playing a big, big event and that's the way he rolls. Exactly. Well, it, it, it reminds me that Stephen Hendry said, you know, in a kind of kind, supportive way, I think, when Jimmy had that really awful experience in that qualifier 
last year. It, 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 Jimmy almost has to tone it down a bit, but I don't really think that's in Jimmy's nature, is it? It's almost like, you know, stop saying you're trying to win the world title, Jimmy, and just sort of lower your expectations a bit. But I think Jimmy's a, a, a shooting for the stars kind of character, isn't he? You can't sort of change the beast, can you? Well, aren't we all allowed to believe in, in what we want to? Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But but no, we will we we'll really look look forward to seeing that match, of course. And there were some other really interesting ones. Sean Murphy against Andy Hicks. Andy Hicks has certainly sprung a surprise or two uh, this season. Um, Judd Trump against a young player that's found it hard so far on tour, uh, Dean Young. Kyron Wilson, Dominic Dale. We could get some entertainment out of that one from, from Dominic for sure. Uh, Mark Williams is playing Michael Judge. Uh, Stuart Bingham has got Sean Maddox. Uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan's playing Sam Craigie. These are all early matches at the Welsh. Mark Allen against Ken Doherty. Uh, John Higgins against Pang Jung-soo. And Mark Selby against uh, Chen Si Fan. So plenty of, of, of big names in action there. Um, a shout out for Dave Hendon, actually. He's written a very nice piece about John Higgins, um, you know, talking about this, you know, eternal brilliance, really. You know, we see it from all of the class of 92. But I think Higgins is the one that perhaps of those three uh, Rachel, that we have to almost think right at this moment, is the one we should talk about the most. He's having such a great season. Not necessarily putting the trophies on the board that he's probably deserved, but getting to all those finals. He's just such an evergreen presence, isn't he? And we we almost run out of superlatives, don't we, for him? Yeah. Um, and do you know what? He's he's just such a pleasure to deal with as well. Um and I, I, I will say, like, I, I would chat to John about anything, you know, musicals, restaurants, everything. But all this, <laughs> I don't even dare talk about diet or spinning because I'm so done with it. And he said he's <laughs> absolutely sick of it as well. So, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think we talk about, I think that we need to put that to bed now, really. I know I've said this a few times, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I'd almost say it's getting a bit inappropriate, actually, the amount of times it's mentioned. But anyway, that's a little bit on my high horse, but it's great he okay. did it, but I think yeah. we can leave that behind now. Well, it's like um, if I went on a diet and I went doing all these spinning classes and everyone was still talking about it <laughs> all these months later, I mean, fair play to him, but I will say with John Higgins um, and what it's really lovely to see even now at this stage in his career, just how wrapped up he gets with his emotions, you know, um, and there, we're never under any illusion whether he wants to win. You know, we talk about the other, the class of 92 with with, with Ronnie and, and Mark Williams. Mark Williams just cracks me up like, you know, I don't care if I lose. <laughs> we know he wants to win. He doesn't care if he loses. And I get that. It doesn't hurt as much. But with John, he hates losing. He just wants to win. He wants to have another moment with his family. You know, he said it. You know, I see all the pictures. I want to have another trophy. I want all my family there. And he's just so hungry still. And I just think it's it's actually amazing that he still has that. Yeah, there was a real emotional moment. Was it after the English raid, Austin Neil? And uh, he, he said that he doesn't feel like he can cut it at this level anymore, which he was sort of... Uh, a knee-jerk reaction because he clearly can, but it, it, I felt really bad for him. It was you could you could see exactly what you just said there, Rachel. That it means so much to him because that that one really hurt. I know, and actually, I was or maybe I shouldn't say this, but I was in um, I, I was in the studio, and obviously, I've got all the gallery in my ear in Eurosport in London, and they're like, "Oh gosh, I can't watch another <laughs> final where John Higgins loses, and we have to listen to his." interview and I'm thinking gosh I feel exactly the same like you know 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, interesting that the first thing you mentioned was musicals there. Is John a big musicals fan? Massive. Always really? Yeah. Bloody yeah. hell. What, yeah. we're talking about what sort of big West End productions type thing? Yeah, he's, um, I mean, uh, he was at uh, Tina Turner, Tina the Musical at the Masters. I think actually Mark Williams might have gone to Tina as well. Um, <laughs> At the Ali Pali, but yeah, no, John's massive. He went to uh, Le Miserable. Uh, he brought his his his, his kids and uh, Denise's wife, and you know, I think he's he's really enjoying his his time away from the the tournament and the events. You know, even being at the event, but um, yeah, loves Hamilton. He's a really interesting guy, and I think with John, it, almost like as long as you, if I think he's actually more fun. I find him really funny. I think like if you're talking about anything but himself and snooker <laughs> you can have like a ever and I, I think a lot of snooker players are like that aren't they you probably guys have have, have found it you know as long as you, you can talk when you're talking about something else like you can have the best fun can't you yeah he's, he's a very sort of I don't know, for, for like a legend of the game like you know top five best player of all time speaking to him you would have no idea that's the standing he holds in a sport because um, he, he's very sort of uh, almost like bashful about it. That might be the right word. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, I've, I've a lot of respect for John. Uh, I think he's, he's a smashing guy, actually. Really, really nice person as well. And a beast on the table, which is more yeah. important. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me. I think you were on duty, actually, Rachel. There was a match where Higgins was absolutely brilliant and Ronnie and Alan McManus were both waxing lyrical and they were almost saying, oh God, we were like, you know, patting each other on the back saying, did you see that? And of course, when they were telling Higgins this, I, can't, I forget which one, it could have been in Belfast actually, that he was getting very shy and embarrassed and oh no, putting it down, which is again, his nature, isn't it? I know, but he's he gets embarrassed exactly, and I was like, "Gosh, this is such a big John Higgins loving," like and it was. But I, I think actually it's really interesting watching Ronnie watch other players because, like, yeah. Ronnie is he's the best. There's like I don't even think you have to have the conversation anymore. But like when he's amazed by like what another snooker player is doing, and like he calls a shot, and he's like, "Wow, watch this, Rachel. This is a fantastic shot." And I'm thinking. He's probably played that a thousand times himself, like, but he's still intrigued by by by, by other players. But yeah, he's got. I think he's got a a lot of respect for John. That's oh, really, absolutely, yeah. That's really interesting I, to hear that, isn't it? I think because we that's a, that's the insight we don't always see. So it is Ronnie um, more passionate about the game when he's not playing than he sometimes lets on. Um. <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> okay. Because, like, I think even with, with Ronnie, like, I mean, he's good as gold, right? But, like, I think he's even more challenging now when he wins because I think, wow, we're all talking about how awesome that performance was and I'll say, you know, how great he was and he'll say, nah. <laughs> <laughs> um but I, I listen, he's turning up in every tournament. You know, he's played more snooker this season than God knows. I can't even remember, you know, how, how much more he's played in the past. So I mean, he's got passion. He's, I don't know. I think he's got a lot of passion still for playing. But in terms of the punditry, I think he's, he, it's funny the players he, he kind of takes interest in, you know, that maybe I wouldn't always kind of keep an eye on. I mean, I follow all the players, but he'll say, oh, he's a really good player. I think he rates um, Sam Craigie actually quite highly. 
he mm. plays him in Wales, doesn't he? And they've actually never played. I think they played in a Championship League match once. So they're going to be playing proper in Wales. So I think that's actually quite intriguing. But um, in answer to your question is I just don't know anymore. <laughs> I mean, we've said this before, but tr trying to sort of get inside the mind of Ronnie O'Sullivan is a, is a pointless task, I think. I, I don't know if you find him, because obviously sometimes, sometimes he's amazing to interview. Sometimes it's very difficult. Um, have you Do you find he's sort of easier because you work with him and it's more of a colleague thing? Um, I know. Listen, we, I think sometimes I think, oh gosh, I mean, he's got gracious in losing. Um, I think his, as I said, it's almost harder when he wins than when he loses now. Um, I just think like with Ronnie, I never try to over egg the cake. Like I know if he comes in, I'm not going to try and spend as much time. Like if he's, if I'm not getting anything out of him, I'm not going to like keep trying because it's not ever going to be good for TV if you just have to keep trying. I'll try and get enough that, you know, it's going to be good for TV and we'll have an interview and all of that. But um, other than that, I mean, and I'm, I'm quite conscious of that with a lot of players, you know, especially when they finish a match, like say, oh my gosh, Barry Hawkins, like at the Masters, he finished his match. It was so late. He was playing a final the next day. And with Eurosport, we're the last stop, basically. And, uh, you know, I just thought, like, I could have done a nice 15 minutes sit down and then it's another 20 minutes putting mics on and all of that. I just think you have to ac accept that these players, they have got massive matches. And I am so conscious not to try and absolutely milk them. And I try that with Ronnie a lot. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. And I think you can tell quite early sometimes with Ronnie, if he's in, in his set answer stage, you know, if he's just saying cue action for every answer, then you might as well give up pretty quick. <laughs> exactly. I've never had it that bad. I've never had it that bad. But uh, listen, I, 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 I like Ronnie a lot. I mean, I've, I, I get on grand with him. Um, there's never a dull moment. Like, I was even yeah. just thinking back when, when I was watching the European Masters, is that Milton Keynes? And I was thinking back to him. He had this scooter in Milton Keynes where he would like, get on the scooter at the hotel and he would like whiz by you on the scooter to get to the venue which was like literally beside the hotel then he would be like scooting his way out for food and it was just like it was hilarious like it was the scooter was everywhere and now I've never seen the, the scooter since so that kind of sums it up a little bit <laughs> that's brilliant that's a that's a lovely line um, We'll talk more in a moment, Rachel, about yourself, actually, and your story and the time you've been in snooker. But just a one generally on the home nations. I mean, this is something we missed out a lot in the pandemic, unfortunately, with, for obvious reasons, a lot of Milton Keynes. But it's important to get the flavour of all those places. And I know we've had a couple of years away from Scotland, unfortunately. But going to Belfast and Northern Ireland, now, funny enough, I was saying to Phil, before we went on air, to me, the jury's a little bit out on Celtic Manor. Not the fact that it's not a good venue, but to me, it's a little bit out of Newport. I still think something in the middle of Cardiff might suit the tournament better. But putting that aside, it's important to get that Welsh flavour, Northern Ireland flavour, Scotland when we go back there, because they're all kind of distinct, aren't they? And they offer those tournaments that sort of very important difference, I think. Yeah, until you go to Clandidno for the Scottish Open. 
<laughs> no, sorry. But I, I know exactly what you mean, though. It's like for context, isn't it? Um, yeah. And actually, even from a TV point of view and like a filming point of view, you know, just yeah. to be outside, you know, doing a link, you know, we're here in Belfast, we're here in Scotland, we're in Glasgow, we're somewhere. Obviously, in Clandidno, it's completely weird. Like, my head nearly <laughs> fell off every day thinking about it. But yeah, no, I think, and I think that's why... I think Belfast works so well because, you know, we were back on the road. I mentioned it earlier about, you know, being back in Wales last year, but that was kind of lift off for me. You know, when we got to Belfast, we had the crowds, we we're back at a tournament where the tournament was supposed to be played. You know, it wasn't the German Masters in Milton Keynes. It was the Northern Ireland Open in Belfast. Yeah, and the, and the perfect ending for it with Mark Allen winning it. That uh, couldn't have gone better, really, from a, from a neutral's point of view, I suppose. Ah, uh, yeah. And you know what? No matter how neutral you can be, like, I was very happy for him. I was really, yeah. really happy for him, you know, and, and just to see like his his friends and his family and, you know, just that, that pride again. We talked about it, how much the Welsh guys would love to win the Welsh Open and, you know, Mark managed to achieve it. He wanted for years to win the, the Northern Ireland Open in a tournament. He was terrible in. He was like, <laughs> he was like a, he just used to melt every year, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it goes two ways, doesn't it? Obviously, it's nice having support, but I think he said himself, it's just it was just the pressure was too much, and maybe that's why, like you said, there's been it's been so long since the Welsh winner of the Welsh Open. It can get it's just it's a hindrance rather than help sometimes. Definitely. Well, was that the best atmosphere you can remember in your time covering snooker, Rachel? That that extraordinary sort of weekend in Belfast. Oh, um, I think it was quite high up there. Well, I remember the first time I went to Berlin to the Tempodrome and that was just something I have, I've never experienced. It was almost just like different type of fan as well. It was like husbands and wives, like they were going off to watch a, you know, a big show. And it was just, they're so passionate. Like the German fans are just so passionate. Um, so the Tempodrome for me, I, I thought like, I love sports so much and I'm actually a bit of a, bit of a wet wipe. Like I'll cry. <laughs> <laughs> I would cry like if like when Ireland won the Grand Slam, like I remember being in a pub in Limerick and like my my like just tears all down my face. But when I was in <laughs> Berlin, I remember like thinking, wow. And I was actually like almost like shedding a bit of a tear. Like it was that awesome. Like it was awesome. But Belfast was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. It was really good. That's brilliant. Well, we'd obviously like to just hear a little bit more about yourself, Rachel, in, in terms of your sort of your sort of background and were you a snooker fan growing up? I was a massive sports fan. Um, my first kind of snooker memory would probably be uh, Ken Doherty, you know. Um, Ireland, we're a great country for sport and whether it's tiddlywinks or snooker or whatever it might be, you know, the whole country <laughs> uh, gets behind whatever sport, whatever player, but well, Ken was very popular and he's still so popular in Ireland. You know, I think they're very proud of him and I think he's he's done great things to promote the game. And I remember him beating um, Hendry in, in, in the final. And that was my first memory of snooker. But then a couple of years later, many years later, in fact, um, I actually worked uh, in a snooker hall um, during uni. You know, you've got several part-time jobs. <laughs> <laughs> one of them was working in a snooker hole. Um, and actually, I might actually say this now, because it's quite how things kind of turn around. Mm. 
Jimmy White, 20 years ago, came to Roscommon, is where I'm from. And the guys in the bar, the snooker hall that I worked in, they were organizing an exhibition. And uh, Jimmy White was the headliner, of course. And he came into the bar and I had a picture taken with him. It was 20 years ago. And to be sharing the studio with him now is, is, is quite funny, actually. But wow. the most bizarre thing about Jimmy coming to the pub, he actually couldn't do the exhibition because he had to have his appendix out in the local hospital. Oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? So I literally, like, on the day of the exhibition, no Jimmy White. And there was, like, photographers all outside this tiny <laughs> hospital, like, teeny little hospital. And everyone was trying to, like, get the story, you know, Jimmy White's in hospital. And, like, I remember the, the organisers of the exhibition, they were like, yeah, appendix likely story <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair he did actually have his appendix out bless him and uh, he spent days there in that hospital and they were all going up cleaning the floor it was the cleanest floor in the whole hospital they're all there taking pictures of him <laughs> <laughs> have you still got that picture of you and jimmy have you shown it to him well funny enough i actually we were chatting about it um last season and I had actually my mum, gosh, she was like going through like all these different pictures, albums after albums. Um, so, yeah, I, I, we haven't found it, but it, it definitely exists somewhere. It might actually be in that pub. I could actually go in there. Weirdly enough. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a bit weird. Like, I mean, I don't want it that much. <laughs> it, that's brilliant. It, what a lovely line. I mean, it, Yes, it, it, that Ken Doherty win was was marvellous, wasn't it? I mean, Ireland have had, in my lifetime, many, many memorable triumphs. The Italia 91 that comes to mind um, under, under Jack Charlton, that, that wonderful run and other wonderful runs they had. Loads of great racing stories. But Ken Doherty winning that world title would, would be up up there quite quite near the top, wouldn't it, in terms of sort of memorable moments? Yeah, massively, massively. And I suppose, you know, the Republic of Ireland obviously had um, Dennis Taylor, Alex Higgins, but I mean, without getting into Northern and Southern divides, like, but, you know, <laughs> with Ken, you know, growing up in the West of Ireland, um, you know, he'd done it for, for for the Republic of Ireland. So, you know, it was it was a, a, a big deal at the time, but he was just so popular as well. You know, he's got such swag, Ken, you know, he's just <laughs> like, he's just so charming and, yeah, um, I remember watching that. But but when I when I started working more in 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 the pub part time job um, during uni, I mean we had lots of part time. What's the weirdest part time job you guys had? Oh loads, bingo calling. Did you? <laughs> Bloody good at it as well. I don't, I don't, I don't mind. I know it's arrogant, but I was. That's amazing. I just worked at a lot of pubs as well, pubs and restaurants. Uh, nothing that weird, but. Uh... Yeah, it was fun though. I quite liked working in a pub. I'd happily go and do that again if needs be. <laughs> yeah, no. And then I actually I came over to work in in uh, Manchester. I worked for Betfred for a while, and they were actually sponsoring snooker at the time. Um, so I went to the Crucible. I was very lucky to get to the Crucible. It was two thousand and ten. Was the uh, first time I went there. Um, so yeah, so I, I've been like following the game closely for. I would say since then, really, well, well, a couple of years before that. But my earliest memory was Ken Doherty and obviously meeting the great Jimmy White and the Sportsman's Inn in Roscommon. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, 
your first job was the World Championship for Eurosport, wasn't it? I think I'm right in saying. I mean, that that must have felt so, so special that spring. Yes, it was. But also, it was my first gig. You know, I remember my first interview. <laughs> and it was, um, I'd replaced Matt Smith. Um, who's such a great guy, by the way. He was so helpful, but he just was gone and I had the microphone and that was it. I'm doing the job. And the first interview I had was Judd Trump after he lost. Needless to say, (laughs) he wasn't happy, understandably so. But I don't know, at the time I felt I was sort of thrown to the wolves a little bit. It was a big shock because I'd been used to like interviewing winning jockeys where they're all so happy (laughs) and high on life and then and to be fair I mean gosh I mean Judd Trump anyone to lose in the world you're going to be so disappointed and then you've got this woman who you've never even seen before and she's standing there (laughs) expecting an interview like what was going on like anyways that was just that was just the job and yeah it was unfortunate that was my very first interview but since then listen I love I love interviewing Judd but I don't like interviewing any losers (laughs) it's such a hard part of the job I bet you think that as well Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And Judge one that, I mean, they all do, but, you know, I think I've mentioned before, I mean, it was, you know, 15 was a semi and a brutal semi, but I've never seen anyone so distraught after losing a match, maybe any match at the Crucible than Judd. I mean, he was devastated. I mean, he, he really was. So, listen, they all wear defeats on their sleeve, but, you know, I can really, I really feel for you there, Rachel, because I've been there with Judd and, he's, yeah, it's, it can be a hard place to be for a, for a journalist, eh? It's very hard, though. It really is, because I think, you know, we're on the snooker tour and, you know, you, you see the, the challenges for, for all of them as well. And, you know, I just think, you know, they it, it can be a hard life. You know, we've seen it. We've been speaking a lot about it, you know, mental health and sport recently. But it's a really hard sport. And, you know, the, the wins and the highs are great. But but losing is, you know, I think I feel for the players when they, they lose. You almost win with them. But but I think you lose with them as well. You know, I, I always feel bad for them. But it's part of the job and you have to do it. And listen, they don't want to talk to me and I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> There was quite a lot of talk. It was it was the last World Championship, wasn't it? And uh, there was talk about whether the players should be interviewed straight away on on TV because they say stuff that maybe they don't quite mean. But I think we discussed this at the time, didn't we, Nick? And yeah. selfishly, as people in the media, it's great for us because you get great lines out of them, even though they don't really want to be there. You're ruthless, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do agree with that actually, but I think that they should be interviewed. Yeah. Uh, Listen, of course, I'm going to say that, but I, I agree with that because um, the players say things you might not usually say after the match. I think Stuart Bingham, remember, um, mm. he lost to Mark Selby at the Crucible, and I think he he did regret a few of the things he said, or maybe the way it was kind of taken up after that. But you know, I mean, Bingham was not, he's not going to say it with malice, like. Um, but he did regret it, I think. And and Kyron Wilson, when he said Sean Murphy was too theatrical. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> these are things that are still being said, you know. But hey, they're human beings. I mean, we all say things that we 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 might regret. I don't know. I, I think it's it's fresh and I I think the masters interviews, um, and actually it was I was really lucky because I I shared the role to do the presenting for the first few days. And then I was reporting for the last few days and the matches were amazing. And I felt like I was really part of it. And even 
I remember when Stuart Bingham lost to to Kyron Wilson. That was an amazing match. And I don't know, I just felt like you were really in the thick of it. And that is a nice part of it, you know, that you're really part of the event. Um, so I enjoyed that. And even Higgins after losing to Williams, like poor old John, like, you know, <laughs> they're just, you know, but that was nice. It was good to be kind of right in there. Um, but yeah, listen, I think it's part of the job, isn't it? Sadly, and it's not easy for them, but yeah, it has to be done. <laughs> That, that really was uh, a bit of magic, that Williams Higgins game. That must have been incredible to be there for that. Yeah, it was awesome. It was it was brilliant. And actually, I was I was standing up in there for when they came out, um, mm. just by chance. I happened to be there, which was really lucky. And yeah, just like, just sends waves through you, like, isn't it? When you see the atmosphere and like the standing ovation and and then when they came back out, they were less, they were just like so surprised by it, you know, and mm. even John, John was really unlucky in that match, actually. And, yeah. you know, sometimes when you are chatting to the loser, like you kind of, you don't want to go in too big, really, do you? Because obviously they felt unlucky and but John was like having none of it. Like, you know, he was just talking about, you know, the amazing atmosphere. He just lost the match. And mm. I do think he was unlucky, but I think he was just completely overwhelmed. Like we all were actually being there. It was it was stunning. Yeah, I think that's what made it even more nice than it would have been anyway, because these two veterans that have seen and done everything in the game, and they looked like almost sort of startled by how good it was. It just really sort of proved how amazing it was. I know um, it was. It was really. It was quite emotional, actually. You know, Roddy, who works for 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 World Snooker. Yeah. yeah. He's part of the, the team, and like he was coming and he was bringing the guys, and then like we did the interview with John, and like Roddy and I were like, "Gosh, it's so emotional." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was just like, "This has been an incredible tournament." You know, to have this drama, but also the emotion that came with it, and, and I absolutely love snooker because. You know, you get to know the people and their personalities and, and obviously, you know, how amazing it is to, to be a spectator. So, yeah, no, it had it all. No, it really did. And I remember Neil Folds was, was on TV duty that night and he and he was sort of saying he'd never seen anything quite like that, actually. And when someone like Neil says that, you know, kind of, how, you know, how special, it, how, special it, how special it was. Rachel, you, you obviously took another step up this season now presenting from tournaments. I think your first one was Belfast. And are we right in thinking you were given not that much notice before that? Yes, you were very right. <laughs> <laughs> I had, um, yeah, uh, Thursday night, I got the call. I was going anyway um, to, to be reporting. I mean, I'm, I, I, I have presented before, but just never snookers. So hmm. I was excited by it, you know. I was actually... Um, yeah, I was really looking forward to it. Something that I, I kind of wanted to do, but I kind of fell into the opportunity, um, shall we say. But yeah, no, I'm, I was really happy. I was actually quite overwhelmed. People were really nice, like sound, you know, like, you know, we like we talk about social media being like such a divisive platform and, and just like not always a very nice place, but like people were really kind, you know, people to take time to like message me and, I was, yeah, I was really grateful for that, actually. I think snookers, social, Twitter people are really nice lot, actually. <laughs> they were really sound. Well, we, yeah, we, we often talk about sort of snooker being a bit of a family atmosphere. And uh, 
Yeah, but it's not, it's never it's never going to be perfect. But yeah, in general, it's pretty uh, warm and welcoming vibe in this spot. I think. Yeah, which is it, it's welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you're oh, you're always going to get like one nasty or one whatever. But like, I I think it's 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 something that I've, I've I enjoy being part of of the snooker family. Like, I mean, I follow the game. You know, when I'm not watch, when I'm not on Eurosport, I'm. I actually um, was quite unlucky. I got COVID after Scotland. Well, what Clan did know. And like, I was thinking, oh, I might not get back for Christmas. And then I think, well, at least I got the Grand Prix. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, a, it's just it, it just gets a grip on you, you know, <laughs> and it's on all the time. I don't think actually we've, I think for for any sport, actually, I think snooker, we are absolutely so lucky because the coverage, obviously, Eurosport, the home of snooker, but like um, ITV, they've got proper tournaments, great coverage. The BBC, you've got the nostalgia, you've got the brilliant Hazel Irvine. You know, we we're we're so lucky. We're quite blessed, actually. I mean, if you're a snooker fan, you you've looked out. No, I agree. Yeah, that, that's the point you make quite a lot, Nick, isn't it? When people, if there's ever any whinging about coverage or anything, you you're quick to remind people how lucky we are. Well, well, I do, and I think I, I think I maintain that. I, I think it's important to call out broadcasters when when there are mistakes made and when they perhaps leave coverage at important stages, which rarely is the case with Eurosport, I might say, um, and more often the case with others. But one other thing I'd like to say is, and I've made this point before as well, that what I love about Eurosport is, and I, I often joke that the, the late A.A. Gill always wrote brilliantly about the BBC's Glastonbury coverage, is that what runs through their coverage is very much the idea of saying to the viewers, you're not here having a good time. We are. But with Eurosport, you never get that. You get that feeling of we're all here and, and so are you in a way because we're bringing it to you. We're having great fun. And what I'd like to sort of ask is, are you having as much fun? I think the answer is going to be yes. With, with Jimmy, Ronnie, Neil, Alan, as you seem to be, because it seems to be like you're having a great laugh and you're making us feel part of it. Well, you are part of it. I mean, we're, we we all love the game, and and I think that's that's uh, yeah, that's something that I'm I I really like the relaxed style that Eurosport have. Um, I think I don't know. I, I feel it suits me because you know if you get a chat going, I'm always let's keep this chat going. You know, like if they're talking, I'm like yes, let's let's keep going. You know, it's not like a real formula of you ask one question, then you ask one question, and then we're going to the break. You know, it was, I, I love that, like, if there is a chat, I mean, obviously we can't crash the commercials, but like, I'm really <laughs> to have like a nice chat, fun, relaxed. I mean, we're not saving lives, are we, to be fair? <laughs> Certainly you not. Know? Although you don't, you're, you're brightening lives, probably not saving them. <laughs> but no, it's fun, it is fun. I mean, Jimmy is like, there's just nobody I've ever met that's quite like Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, just, he's just a very funny person he's 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 just always has a story for you um and i think i think everyone kind of has a different role which is quite good as well like jimmy is he's fun i mean neil foles got a wicked sense of humor like i mean he's jimmy's funny in a different way but like jimmy like picks up on players will come out and they'll just walk by jimmy and say he's got a different cue Maguire is playing with a different cue, whereas the other guys might not notice that. Yeah. And Jimmy can tell you who's practicing with who, who had travel problems, who's been here, who's been there. He's almost my little mole. <laughs> He's like a little <laughs> detective. 
no, listen, we have good fun. I mean, Alan McManus, he's he's always switched on. You know, I think his Alan's approach is is very scientific. He's always looking for the angle. He's always got a, an idea for a piece or, you know, he's always got something up his sleeve. And I think, I, and I don't want to kind of put Alan and Neil in the same bracket because they kind of have, they're kind of more analytical when, when it comes to like, you know, the touch screen and the, the, their, their role and everything. But like, listen, guys, you know it. Pundits on any sport that do, do the job for years they can be stale, they can be lazy, but Neil and Alan, they're just like, the game still fascinates them. And you can see how much they really love it. Like, I just think they're so interesting to be around. Yeah, that definitely comes across from both of them and everyone in the sport really, but yeah, those two especially. Um, I wanted to know, it didn't sound like it when we asked you just now, but uh, obviously, Colin and Andy leaving was it was quite big news from Eurosport. It seemed to happen quite quickly. Did you sort of did you feel pressure stepping into their shoes at all, or was it so fast that you didn't really have to think about it? Um, well, there was obviously a big change um, because Colin left first, and then Radzi, um, because they we were doing a they were doing the Olympics, and he took on the triple crowns. And then Andy left at short notice. So I was quite lucky to step in. I, I, I wanted to do the job. <laughs> mm. um, was there pressure? Yeah, of course. It's like anywhere, isn't it? When you step in, sitting in someone else's desk at an office, and you think, oh, <laughs> am I going to be as well liked as the glass guy who cracked all the jokes and was, you know, fun to everyone? <laughs> and, you know, listen, it's life, isn't it? Like they were there for a long time. They were both popular. And in general, people don't like change, do they? <laughs> <laughs> they, don't. they don't, but they but they like you. And we're going to come on to some compliments for you later. Oh, you... Gosh. Let's not. <laughs> no. Don't worry, don't get all embarrassed like John Higgins. We haven't got, you know, we, we, you know we're not going to go on for eight. We've got quite a lot, though, Phil, haven't we, genuinely? But, you know, since we announced you were coming on, we've had a, a really good feedback. So I think, you know, people really like you but I'll tell you one thing I'd like to say as well and I've got to be a bit careful when wording this you you mentioned Hazel Irving already and we've enjoyed the Winter Olympics actually watching on the BBC and she's been absolutely impeccable as she always is Jill Douglas does a brilliant job for ITV now first and foremost you're all great broadcasters the fact you're female hopefully will one day be irrelevant but obviously it was previously a male bastion uh, certainly in snooker you know, as we were all growing up, people like David Vine, David Icke, Dickie Davis, Dougie Donnelly, you didn't really get females presenting it. Now the top presenters are pretty much all female. I mean, that shows progress is being made. But from you looking in at the sport and being at the heart of it now, does snooker feel sort of diverse enough for you kind of across the board? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess when you say like it's progress because if you say it's progress because there are I mean this is a really it's a hard topic really because mm. I always feel that yes you know we should have more women involvement but at the same time I don't want to be doing the job because I'm a woman I don't mm. want to be involved because I want to be good enough I want to be there because I'm good at the job and like if there's a a man that's like going to be so much more amazing than me then he should get the job you know 
if if you're looking for diversity, I think sometimes diversity is is great, and yes, it's progress, but if it's progress for the right reasons. Yeah. yeah. But, but I think I think it's it's got to be helpful in terms because we talked about um, obviously Rhiannon on you having these tour cards and uh, they were speaking about how it'd be nice for women or girls to turn turn the TV on and see uh, other women playing the game and that would open their eyes to maybe doing it themselves. But I suppose just seeing female presenters could do, could have the same impact in a way. Um, it just looks a more looks a more open sport from the off. Yeah, sure, definitely. And I think visually, by having Rianne and, and Mink, I mean, we've got a, you know, yeah. she's going to play on the tour next season, which is really exciting. I don't know yeah. if there's been like, a, is there like a changing of the guard in terms of women's snooker? It, it could be, but I'll tell you one thing that comes to my mind, and we, I wanted to move a little bit into your great love of racing and your, your brilliant racing broadcasting. I mean, Goodness, goodness knows there's enough hand-wringing in that sport about whether they're getting things right. But I think in terms of gender equality, they really are getting it right. You've got big stars like Bryony Frost, Rachel Blackmore. They're right at the top of the sport now. Thankfully, we start, we're stopping saying female jockeys now. We're just calling them jockeys, slowly but surely. But when you look at something like racing, it's been a great success in that regard. Do you still think, being honest, snooker has a, a way to go? Well... I think the difference might be um, that you're going to compare Rachel Blackmore, like she is exceeding far more than any male. So she's in a position where she's actually, you know, she's she's so successful because she's better than, you know, so many of, of, of the top male jockeys at the minute. Whereas in snooker, we're not actually having any of the female players excelling within the balanced division, shall we say, as in mm. on tour. So I, I think it's, I think it's a, quite a difficult, um, I, I get your, I get your comparison because really, and, and actually I work in both sports where male and female can compete against each other, which is bonkers, really mm. great. But I don't think that the, women on tour on the snooker tour as are as competing as strongly as the women jockeys are yeah that's absolutely fair and and without wanting to pile enormous amount of pressure on those ladies that i think it, them sort of competing at the top end would be the thing that would really make the huge difference and would uh it might them. happen it might happen but it's not happening at the minute racing is is just a little bit further in terms of the female jockeys that have just managed to be as good as the guys um, and better, you know, um, and Hayley Turner, to be fair, but you need somebody to, to give the inspiration, don't you? Because I think Hayley Turner, like years ago, she was the one who loves her snooker, by the way. Um, she was the, yep. the female jockey that all everyone wanted to be. And you do need a role model. And, and hopefully we will see the improvement in, in, in that in snooker now that we have you know three girls on tour next season or three ladies or women i have to be <laughs> gotta get it right guys <laughs> yes but you know are, are, are the are the jockey well i think the answer is yes they're doing better because racing opened its doors much earlier snooker has opened its doors later yes progress is being made now great but you know um, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, I actually think it's just that you like Rachel Blackmore is a freak, 
<laughs> like she's yeah. a freak. Like we've had some great female riders before, like Nina Carberry and Katie Walsh. But what Rachel Blackmore has been able to do is insane. And we might never see another Rachel Blackmore come along. So whether it's the doors have been opened a couple of decades ago or whether it's just, you know, she's just been amazing at what she does. Because we do get freaks. We've got the class of 92. Freaks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In the nicest possible way, they really are. Um, oh, amazing. <laughs> you, you adore racing, don't you? I, I, I've got a cousin. I, I, I normally go and see every summer in the southwest for a few days. And, you know, only when I stay with him that I realise you're on there so much on racing TV, aren't you? You're a permanent fixture on there. And... You, <laughs> You, I hope I'm saying this in a nice way. You're you're a lovely permanent fixture, but but you, you, that's a sport you live and breathe, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. I'm laughing because it's like in that Father Ted episode where Jack <laughs> looks at the telly and says, "Not that on the telly again." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. No. I, sorry. I do uh, a lot of horse racing. Yeah, I do. Um, but I love it, and it works really well for me because. Summer is a very busy season because you've got evening racing and there's no snooker on, well, usually. And yeah, just I'm just on this wonderful loop. The two sports I love the most, um, snooker and horse racing. And yeah, it works, works perfectly. I mean, it, it's very different because, OK, you've got cold snooker holes, but like I did Exeter on Sunday. And that is like, you need to be hardy. You need to be tough. Like sometimes you think like, oh, sitting in the snooker hall, it can be cold or the venue, but like have a day at Exeter and see how you go. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask, are there big differences between you, how you broadcast on those sports or are the principles so much the same that they kind of mesh together? Um, well, I suppose it's, I think with, with horse racing and, and racing TV, I mean, we've got some fantastic pundits. Um, but it's like, I always think, right, in horse racing, like the best pundits, the best presenters will tell you things that you can't read in the Racing Post or find in the form book. And I think with snooker, like your, your Neils and your Allens of this world, it's like I need to tell them something or give them insight that they can't find themselves. So I think it's like, I'm a presenter, I have a pundit, and you're like hoping that you can bring the viewer something that they don't know already. But have fun and enjoy and, and give people the, you know, the sights and the sounds of where you are. And it's very different, like, but equally great. <laughs> with, um, with your sort of dual reporting and punditry role in the snook at the minute, have you got a preference or do you like that you can mix it up now? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with the mix. I like it. And I, I love it at the Masters, actually, because I did like, as I said already, um, I did half and half. I, I love people. Like, I absolutely love people. And I just, mm. I, I like, you know, I love, you know, the players come in and you're just chatting about where they had dinner last night. And, you know, you just, it's just the human interaction I like. And, you know, you're going around, you know yourself, um, Phil and, and Nick as well, like, you're seeing the whole cog and how the whole snooker clock ticks. And I always find that really interesting. Got the referees and just everything. So I think you're kind of, when you're in the studio, you're kind of, you don't really see anybody <laughs> all week, only the people that come in, like, and sometimes for the home nations at times, it was like Mark Selby, Judd Trump, Ronnie O'Sullivan, John Higgins. 
Mark Selby, Judd Trump, like repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so from the reporting point of view, I do like, I love people and I really enjoy that part of the role, but, um, the presenting is something I've always wanted to do. So I'm really happy that it's happened for me on the snooker. When, when we had Hector Nunes on here and chatting about snooker media, I think we all agreed that the best thing about covering the sport is the players and just how like wonderfully normal they are. And we just like talking to them. Uh, would you go along with that as well? Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. But I actually think in horse racing, like jockeys are similar, you know, um, it's a very accessible sport, yeah. horse racing, you yeah. know, the jockeys generally, you, you don't get to talk to them when they lose, which is not yeah. a pity. Um, but like, you know, and snooker, the players are fantastic. They like, they're going through several weeks on the road and they're doing interviews after interviews after interviews, but they, are just fantastic. I think they're they'll do they'll always do their interviews and they're good company, like and they're good crack mm -hmm. as well, like when they come in and that's what it's about, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's supposed to be entertainment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I'm really glad you made that comparison because I I cover quite a bit of racing as well, and they are kind of similar. The access is kind of extraordinary. I mean, we've got Cheltenham coming up, which I know an event we both love. I know you're going to be there. I'm hoping to be there myself. And there are times there when you're in the sort of parade ring or, you know, in the inner workings of the course, if you like, and you keep expecting someone sort of to turf you away for security to come and say, <laughs> what are you doing here, mate? Because, you know, you're wandering around and Nicky Henderson there and Willie Mullins. And you're right. You know, we do like praising snooker people and they are brilliant, but let's not, you know, pretend that's the only sport is like that. They're also great in racing. And uh, I, I guess, you know, what I'm leading to here is you're very fortunate in your in your job. As you say, you you love people and that comes over. You, you are working right now in two such accessible sports. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I'm really aware of that because I think if you go to like, oh, gosh, tennis, I mean, to work at a tennis tournament in, in the media, it's like, OK, your turn. You can have one question. On to the next agency. On to the next. You know, it's yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm not for all of that. I get it. I get it. But yeah, I think we're very lucky in in the sports set and and golf as well. You know, I, I think it's it's a little bit better than tennis. But crikey, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> You're gonna have to book an appointment. <laughs> it's not much better than tennis. Trust me. Um, what one more thing? I think we move on to correspondence in a moment, Phil. But. We've mentioned Judd Trump before. Now, he's not the only one, but he's been particularly outspoken in, in the last year, hasn't he? Talking about the game being too old-fashioned and maybe the dress code needed to be updated. I mean, he, we love it when stars speak out like that, don't we? And, you know, what he said has kind of been fair game and it's all, all good stuff, isn't it? Oh, yeah. All good stuff. And I think, I think players have to use their voice, you know? Um, and I, and I, okay, I know we're talking about Judd now, but I remember at the Home Nations when when Ronnie spoke out about appearance fees. I think it was, um, I'm not too sure which tournament it was. Um, sorry, like, you know, matches held over and first round losers getting paid. Their expenses haven't been covered. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, sorry, I haven't explained it very well. Well, you know, like that gets people talking and, you know, we even had World Snooker. I don't know if they've done anything about it or whatever, but, you know, they, they issue a statement, you know, and I think you need the the head guys, you know, telling everyone what they think. Um, 
for the good or the bad. And I think Judd Trump, I really like actually that he he speaks out now. And I and listen, you don't I you don't have to agree with him, but isn't it better that he says it than he than he doesn't? Um, I think some of the comments he, I mean, I had them all in. <laughs> it was quite funny how when he talked about the dress code for the ties for for the players at the Masters. So I did this kind of like to tie or not to tie. And like, it's so amusing, like listening to some of the other players, like Mark Williams was like, I don't care. I play yeah. the towel. <laughs> <laughs> and like Kyron Wilson was like explaining how he had, his mom had to like, um, like just talking about his tie. And like, everyone has a different opinion, but like had you not said that about the tie, like none of us would even maybe have thought about it. Like, mm. is it an inconvenience? Um, and I do like I really respect Judd for 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 speaking out, and I think I think you do great interviews, actually, Phil. You get a lot of stories, a lot of discussion with 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 some of the players that you interview. I think in the past they've kind of been afraid to, because I know I've had Steve Maguire in sometimes. He's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Well, I get I might get fined, you know. Like that was kind of the the mentality. Like you know, if you say something, you might get fined. Like that's going back a few years, to, to be fair. But um, in regards with, with Judd, I think actually one thing he did say was at the Masters, he was like talking about taking his friends and his family and, you know, how much that he would like bring them to the Masters and, you know, the Ali Pali. And I think we probably have a little way to go. Um, obviously, the Ali Pali is kind of the blueprint, isn't it? Mm. Um, on, on where we would like to see snooker. Listen, Every event can't be like the Masters. <laughs> it can't be like all singing and dancing. You know, you look at the big horse racing festivals. There are like, dare I say it, gaff tracks that are not all singing and dancing for every meeting, you know. <laughs> but at least he's putting it out there. And I actually spoke to Jason Ferguson about it. And, you know, he was saying like, you know, I'm listening to to, to players. You know, we just said that, you know, he's got big vision and he wants to create a Masters, many Masters kind of, scenario like situation in terms of like corporate hospitality and and all of that so sorry I've gone on a little bit but I <laughs> I think it's great that Judd Trump speaks out because I do think people do listen and we talk about it you know we, we get conversations going discussions and, and that's what we love <laughs> yeah 100% I think what we've said before about what when Judd says he, he generally is doing it because he wants the sport to thrive and grow he's not doing it just because he doesn't want to wear a tie, <laughs> Alexander Palace. Like he has he has bigger ideas, and it's from from the right place. Um, so yeah, as you say, you don't have to agree with him, but uh, it's certainly well intentioned. Uh, what I w wondered about when he spoke about um, the commentary, he was talking about the BBC really when he was saying about harking back to the past and talking about the 1980s too much. Um, he certainly wasn't talking about Eurosport, but did did that cause any sort of conversation about uh, between how you guys? cover it or to avoid doing stuff like that um i think everyone on your sport follows the game yeah. um and i think that there's never going to be a moment where they will be oh i haven't seen this guy play before so yeah. i don't think it's kind of a i don't think it's a conversation really i mean listen look at everyone loves different coverage i mean if you enjoy bbc coverage maybe you like the nostalgia they do great pieces you know, snooker watching on BBC, you might remember when you're growing up watching it, you might still enjoy their, their coverage. And we mentioned Hayes and we mentioned the team. 
But yeah, he he. Um, I, I think actually in Belfast, I mentioned poor John Virgil. He'll never do an interview again. <laughs> oh, no. We thought that had gone until you brought that up again. Oh dear, yeah, that was good. Thank you, by the way. Thank you for giving the podcast a mention on television. Oh, did I? Yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot that. No, but um, in terms of, um, I, I I don't think he's ever been really that critical of 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 how Eurosport go i don't know maybe no no, so, no no it's not it's not but it's a great question from phil about whether whether but you obviously didn't feel that you needed to have that conversation because you feel your coverage is totally relevant and, and, and vibrant as it is which it is to be fair but to be fair though i could like we do sometimes um like quizzes you'll see them they're like little filler kind of packages you know like a master's quiz or and some of the questions will be like oh gosh like in 1981 who missed whatever the black and and he'll say I wasn't even born like he's not into nostalgia and like yeah. we'll do lots of questions he's like I've never even heard of him like I wasn't born and like maybe that's quite relevant when he comes out and says that actually I'm not going to be talking about these players I didn't grow up watching them you know and and, and it's kind of like even at the shoe show you know the little Stan Moody guy he came on he's like oh yeah so my my memory was like Neil Robertson in the UK Championship in whatever year I thought, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we all have to forget, like, listen, the 80s were amazing, right? Um, but for me, like, I mean, it's nostalgia a little bit, but really, when you, like, I'm modern day, like, I, I like looking back on it, and it's fun on YouTube or whatever, but I don't think players like Judd Trump want to be talking about it or are necessarily like winding down to a memory lane that they that doesn't exist for them. Yeah. What but we great... all love nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. What a great sentence. They don't necessarily want to be wandering down a memory lane that doesn't exist for them. Bloody hell. Now that is good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you are it's listening. Getting, to... It's getting late, guys. <laughs> It is. And I'll lay you into a secret. This is me and Phil Haig being a little bit on the clock here, you know. But we're still, we are conscious we've gone over an hour. We are going to move on to correspondence. We are winding down. And and you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. And Rachel Casey is our special guest. And Dennis has emailed us and says, Hi to you, Nick and Phil. Thank you both for your services to snooker. I really, that sounds like we're about to get an MBE or something. It's taking the knee there. I really enjoyed the recent podcast with special guests, JV, Angles and Foldsy. And I think it's great you have Rachel Casey on. I was an Andy Goldstein and Colin Murray fan, but as a presenter, Rachel has won me over completely. Rachel, if you could pick one name, who is the most fun person in snooker to interview? Also, can you shed some light on what Stephen Maguire found so hilarious in your interview a couple of years back? I've watched Snooker for 20 years and never seen him laugh so much. It was great TV. Yours sincerely, Dennis. So over to you, Rachel. <laughs> well, I'd have to kill you if, 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 if I told you what we were laughing at. That is a bit of a joke. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> Who's the most fun person then? Right, listen, everyone thinks that Steve Maguire is this like grumpy guy who doesn't want to chat and he's, uh, he's really funny. He is funny. He's you know, mad. Um... <laughs> he's a bit mad, really. And I say that because he takes one to no one. 
he's um i mean like listen he's he's not always phil i don't know if you find this as well with with, with, with steven like he's not always easy to pin down for an interview like um, yeah. it's generally after the match that you know you get to, to chat to him um but he is just sound like mm. but yeah i don't know i can't, I can't even say it out loud <laughs> right <laughs> your turn phil let's let's um draw a veil over that one <laughs> Yeah, I would say the same about Stephen. I mean, he just has—he sort of has this sort of almost like menacing demeanor at the table a bit. But then when you get to meet him, he's a—he's a great guy. But yeah, you're, you're right about the interviews. I spoke to him on the phone uh, before the World Championships. I said, "Oh, thanks for doing this. I know you don't do a lot." And he said, "Oh yeah, Will Stuka said I'd get fined if I didn't do sort of two or three of them." So. More fines. I will say actually, after that little giggle thing we had, um, he. <laughs> He couldn't do the interview. He actually left the room and came back the next morning. And like, <laughs> the worst part was my producer was like, oh, he'll never come back. And I'm like, he will. He's promised he'll come back. He'll come back the next morning. So when he arrived at like, I don't know, whatever time it was, but yeah, it was funny. Yeah. It was a viral hit that. I mean, it's one of those things that you can't not laugh yourself by the end of it. I know, but it was just, he just was gone and like completely <laughs> gone. And that was like an edited version. I think they clipped up as much as they could, but like it went on for so long. Like, you know, when you laugh so much that you're like, your 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 tummy hurts. Like it's the best feeling in the world, but like <laughs> he was just gone. Anyways, listen, it's, it's, it's done there. Yeah. Sorry. I can't. Um, yeah. I That's feel bad. But yeah. It would be. So sh Should we say that he's the most fun person? I don't, think, I, I don't think you actually gave us an answer there. You're a bit naughty. What? Um, yeah, we'll go, we'll go with him. I think they're all fun when they win, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, so this one's from Brian Campbell on email. Dear, dear Nick and Phil, firstly, I was delighted when Rachel was given the presenting job on Eurosport, as it made sense to promote from within. Rachel has been a familiar face on Eurosport snooker coverage for quite some time, is known to the players and is part of the scene. I enjoy her presentation, her enthusiasm and enjoyment really comes across to the viewers at home. If I may, I have a couple of questions. You absolutely may, Brian. Uh, when players on, do Rachel and the analysts watch on some big TV on comfier seats? And what do they do for food? Um, say, for example, the afternoon session finishes at five and they are due back on air at 6.45. How do they fit in getting their food when time is tight? I'm guessing it's not all glamour being on telly. Kind regards, Brian. Well, there we go. An interesting question. Um, quite quite unique um, question there. Um, I like it. But I will say, um, Brian's on the ball, I think, actually, because food is quite a big part of the broadcast because we come in at like half ten and Jimmy says, Rach, what we having for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Without fail, every morning. And I think he's rubbed, out, he's rubbed off on his old because like it'll get to about half eleven, we'll just be doing a rehearsal. And one of us will say, what are we having for dinner? <laughs> um, but anyways, we generally, actually sometimes the afternoon show will run into the evening. So we just, um, we have it at seven o'clock when the match starts and we we don't have any comfortable seats. But we, we all watch the match like, you know, intently because with snooker, you just never know what can happen. And and also like, I think we're, we can always be even surprised every time, you know, what, what, what can happen. But um, don't worry, we get fed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I love that question. I think that's brilliant. That, thanks for that, Brian. I, I love the way your mind works there. James Simpson on Twitter. Rachel, out of all the tournaments you've worked on so far, which is your favourite and why? 
Oh, well, we did actually chat about the Tempodrome, didn't we, in, in mm. Berlin earlier. Um, for that reason, that's um, very, very high up on the list. I mean, the Crucible is the Holy Grail, isn't it? It's like standalone. It's like Lords for Cricket. So I think you just leave that aside. Um, I think the Ali Pali, I think what they've man managed to achieve in the last couple of seasons, um, I, I like what they've done. I thought this year's Masters was really special. I felt really lucky to be doing my job this year there. I just, I mean, I feel lucky all the time, but you know, you just, yeah, it was brilliant. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go Ali Pali, actually. Obviously, Crucible and Tempodrome aside. I could have so many. I would love to see snooker and golf. Yes, that, that comes up. Goff seems to get a mention every week on this podcast. And for a venue that doesn't host any snooker, that's quite incredible, but shows that it really should. I did hear uh, there was a whisper that they, they, they were th they, they, there could be something in the pipeline. Oh, breaking news. Bloody no. Is that all you've got? Any, anything else you can tell us? <laughs> Don't start typing. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I did hear that they were, they were trying, trying to get something. Um, but yeah, because like I mean, I've been to the sales at Goffs, but like imagine <laughs> having snooker there and me watching it there would be great. Anyways, um, yeah, I've never seen, I've never been at Goffs for snooker, obviously, but uh, I would like, I would love if it would happen because everyone's always, as you guys say, banging on about Goffs. Yeah, well, they can't all be wrong. It must be amazing. So yeah, well up for that. Um, this is from Karen on Twitter. We sort of mentioned it earlier, but how excited are Ronnie and Angles in the studio? when they're watching matches. I think, was that Higgins one where they were super excited? Was that a one-off or are they always that sort of buzzing? Well, every match is different, isn't it? I mean, there's some matches that, like there's an inevitability about them. Fair, you know, like very one-sided matches that what, what, what could happen in a year, this is going to happen. Like, you know, we, we know the winner, certainly have the matches and that's not, they're not going to be jumping around the studio, are they? But there are moments where, yeah, they're excited. I mean, they love it, definitely. Um, and I think people, I don't know, people always ask me that about Ronnie. You know, is he into it? Like, when he's not playing himself, is he into it? And, like, I think he can be really insightful, you know. Um, oh. And he's he likes to talk about it, and he's really good at it, I think. You know, when he's enjoying it, and he's in good place, and he's liking it, you know. And that's generally how he's been with me. And I always think you have to, in life, treat people how you find them yourself. And for me, I think he's he's been good as gold, actually. Yeah. Oh, amen to that. Well, the rest are just compliments. We don't want to get in too big a head, Rachel. Oh, me and Phil are going to whisk <laughs> through them. First up, Brian Dobson on Twitter. Rachel has seamlessly taken up the mantle of Eurosports snooker anchor. Her cheery, upbeat presentation style is a joy. We'll look forward to listening to this. And this is Alicia Walsh on Twitter. Very delighted to hear that Rachel is coming on the podcast. Nobody could have been a better replacement for your sports snooker presenter role than Rachel. Simply top class all round, whether she's interviewing or presenting. This is Daniel Clark, friend of the podcast, The Green Bays on Twitter. Fantastic news. Already looking forward to this. Rachel Casey has proven to be a welcome addition to snooker broadcasting with that rare ability in the studio of knowing when to lead and knowing when to listen. And this last one, so you can stop going red now. Uh, oh Kelly Barker, another friend of the pod. Rachel has quickly become one of the best presenters in snooker. 
Eurosport coverage is all the better with Rachel either in the studio or as a reporter. There we go. Right. Thank you. That that's really kind. I mean, uh, yeah, I I get really embarrassed, but I will <laughs> say, and I I I did mention it briefly earlier. Like people are so nice, right? <laughs> like who takes time to be kind? Like on Twitter. So yeah. Listen. Thanks so much. I mean, yeah. I'm. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, next. <laughs> <laughs> We'll look forward to seeing you in Wales. And I think you're right, you know, listen, Twitter has many faults, but I said before, my corner of Twitter is, is is pretty good, actually. And it sounds like yours as well. I think yours probably is, Phil. So I'm not saying it's just down to the, the person. I think you can create your own nice enclaves, can't you? Yeah, I think so. And obviously, yeah, it's never going to be perfect, but the mute, the mute button does an excellent job at sorting that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, have we missed anything? I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a question about, because it's seen as you're on Twitter. Go on. Who, what um, Twitter account in terms of snooker players? Who's your favourite? Um, one that springs to mind immediately is probably Mark Williams. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because it, it's almost like a little game. It's almost like playing Wordle, working out his hashtags. I feel like I'm working my mind out a bit as well. So it's educational as well as entertaining. Yeah, he came straight to my mind as well. Um, and more time, I might think, I'm sure I think of others. But yeah, I think Mark, because he's just so offbeat, isn't he? He's just the ultimate in terms of ripping up a script. He just says what he wants. And, and that's brilliant. Wasn't there, wasn't there um, another Twitter account that's like decoding his tweets? Yes. <laughs> Mark Williams tweets explained. I mean, that's great, isn't it? <laughs> you know you've cracked it. You know you've cracked it. I mean... Every, Anyone can have a, you know, someone that mocks them in a way or mimics them. But to have someone explaining your tweets, <laughs> now that really means you've made it, I think. <laughs> Rachel, have we missed anything out? We, we often like to ask this. Have we been forgetful about anything you'd like to talk about? Or should we let, should we let you uh, say a fond farewell to us? Yeah, a fond farewell. <laughs> you, you, you've been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Like it was, um, it was a pleasure. Really nice and good fun. And I'm where am I going to see you guys? Um, Sheffield. When may well do. When will I see you again? Now that <laughs> is the second piece of singing ever on Talking Snooker. Is that sing? Probably Sheffield in my case. Um, or Cheltenham. Uh, or Cheltenham, of course. Yes, you're going on the Thursday and Friday. I might be there on Gold Cup Day. Yes, so I shall I shall make a beeline to say hello to you. Not oh, when you're on air, of course, in the bits in between. Don't worry, <laughs> it's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done it before. Um, all the best to you, Rachel. Thank you very much indeed. Goodbye Thank now. You. Thank you, Bill. Bye-bye. Rachel. Well, that was absolutely delightful, wasn't it, Phil, to have Rachel Casey joining us on Talking Snooker. I've got any other business uh, down here, sir. Have you got anything else you'd like to say to us? Um, I don't think so. I've just, some results have ticked through while we've been on air, a couple of interesting ones. Uh, Jack Lissowski going out in the first round of the European Masters to Ashley Hugill, 5-3, big shock there. And a couple of long slogs, uh, Hawkins beating Hamilton 5-3, and Gilbert a decider, 5-4 against Liam Highfield. So much needed win for Dave there, a couple of tons in the last three frames from Gilbert. So good win. Um, 
no, nothing old from me. Busy old, <laughs> don't go into personal life too much, but I'm moving house in the morning. So I'm a, a busy old time for my life at the minute, um, but I'll be keeping abreast of the snooker nonetheless. Well, I hope you won't mind me betraying a little secret. I mean, such is your love of snooker and, and of course, your hometown. You're moving, you're moving back to your roots, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's a return to Sheffield. I've been away for... 15 years I suppose it is um so it's going to be funny to move back but it'll be great it's going to be great when the crucible rolls around and of course the qualifiers beforehand so yeah I'll be back in uh, back in the steel city and uh I can't wait it's been too long <laughs> indeed well uh, I shall it'll be even more reason for me to visit as well you know because um I love Sheffield, actually, you know, he, you know he, even regardless of, of many, many, many fond memories there, going back to my university days, I had many friends from Sheffield. So even aside from the cruise, it's a great city. And I always think a very livable city. So I know we're going on topic here a bit. We need to go, Phil. But <laughs> it, 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 it's, a, it's a special town, isn't it? And you've got the, the Peak District nearby and Derbyshire, beautiful areas. So, you know, it's obviously a, a, a lifestyle decision, but... Um, a good one. We're turning to location, location, location here at this time of night. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is a great spot. Um, I assume most people who listen to this will have been there for the Crucible. If you haven't, then uh, go visit. Uh, the, the fact, well, I'm, you can't see me, but I'm doing fact in air quotes because I've got no guarantee that this is a fact. But what I always say about Sheffield is that it's reportedly the greenest city in Europe, as in there's more trees per head than any other city in the continent. <laughs> That's a great one because it's very, very, very hard to prove it otherwise. Exactly, yeah. So I've always stuck with it. I've got no idea if it's true or not, but it could well be. Uh, yeah, you've got to love facts that are hard to disprove. We <laughs> told you about Ronnie O'Sullivan, of course, tonight. He beat Nigel Bond easily 5-1. Neil Robertson winning as well, uh, beating Le Pay Fan 5-2. So, yeah, you mentioned this ask you there. I mean, he, he's not having that great a season, is he, Jack? It has to be said. He's just not sort of hitting the heights, reaching those finals last season, you would have thought he'd he'd um, sort of push on from there. But it's sort of, in many ways, been the opposite, hasn't it? Yeah, disappointing for him, really. Um, out, of the out of the 16 again, it's looking like he's going to have to go and qualify for Sheffield. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen there. I think he's been to... He got to quarters of the UK, didn't he? But that was really it. Um, not won many matches at all outside of that. So... Yeah, very disappointing. I think we probably, I can't remember who tipped who, but when we talked about first-time winners of events at the start of the season, he certainly got mentioned, but not come close. So hopefully he'll, he'll turn it round because he's he's superb to watch when he's flowing. But um, yeah, it's been a struggle. Yeah, I think we all probably went for Jack, didn't we? Of course, Dave Gilbert <laughs> did it quite early, didn't he? Well, we'll disappear then. But first of all, let's say well done to Dave Tyndall. Uh, yes. A, a pal of ours, of course, and a big friend of the Snooker Scene podcast. Very good when he goes on there. He made his first ever century today, Phil. It wasn't just about the European Masters. And what I love is he made the 100, and while still on the break, he went over to tell David Grace. Now, which one of us, after making our century, wouldn't like to just wander over and tell David Grace about it? <laughs> yeah, that's superb. Uh, another sort of tip of the hat to the accessibility of the sport you know you can just go into the northern snooker center in leeds and play yourself but wander over to a current pro and just have a chat with him anytime you want but yeah no what an effort from davis uh i mean we the, the people know sort of the standard we play at so to 
the idea of making a hundred is quite, you know, mind bending, really. So it's amazing, amazing stuff. He had a blue to do it, but he, he didn't even just roll it in. Which I mean, this is shows how probably a rubbish mindset that someone like me would have. I think just just get the blue in, but no, play for the red as well. And you know, he could have got one three six. And we were messaging each other earlier, weren't we? And the way I build it is, if you had a one three six, that's ringing Clive Everton territory. That's <laughs> it. You get one three six, you're ringing Clive Everton. Doesn't matter if you know. But calling in, calling in sick for a week and going on holiday. If I did something like that, I'd be partying all, partying for a few days. But <laughs> I know it was a superb effort from Dave. Very impressive. It really was. Folks, the European Masters is well underway. And then from next Monday, the Welsh Open with Rachel Casey, of course, uh, presenting for Eurosport. Uh, there will be coverage in the UK on the BBC as well of the Welsh Open on television if you're in Wales or on the digital services elsewhere in the UK. We'll be back next week on Talking Snooker to review the European Masters. I did notice as well, we don't often say this, but I think occasionally... You do say some very kind things to us on email and on messages on Twitter. If you could maybe leave us a review on Apple Podcast, I notice it's been nearly half a year since the last one. That would be very much appreciated. Um, people that are far more technological than us, Bill, which is basically everybody, say, say it is actually important. Apparently, it does it does tick through somehow to to, to make it more relevant. So the more stars and the more nice reviews. No bad ones, just nice ones. Exactly, yes. It's five star or don't bother, please. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what it does, but everyone who knows about podcasting uh, says it's very useful. So yeah, if you've got, you know, 20 seconds, that's all it takes. That'd be that'd be much appreciated. Best of luck with the move. Have a great week. Enjoy the rest of the European Masters, and I'll see you on this very podcast next week, sir. Lovely stuff. Yeah, pleasure as always. Thanks for everyone's listening. Speak to you soon. Indeed, and uh, do Keep in contact with us at talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. For now, from this really terrifically enjoyable episode, from Rachel, Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.